0: Here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA Woman of Influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing.
1: Good morning. My name is Angelina Carlton. I'm the founder of Legacy Planning, a coaching and advisory practice in Beverly Hills. And I would like to welcome Ms. Nikkei Anani to a conversation this morning about succession family businesses, as well as the broad topic of legacy. So welcome, Ms. Nikkei.
2: Thank you so much, Angelina. I'm really excited about this conversation. Thank you for having me.
1: Good, good. So um, a bit of a background. She is the co-founder of African Family Firms. She's also an overall entrepreneur and she specializes in succession planning for family businesses. So would you like to share a little bit about your journey? Mm -hmm.
2: Happily. Um, Yes, like you said today, I hope family businesses cross the generational gap, pass on their businesses from generation one to beyond through succession planning. Um, I'm also co-founder of a non community of African family businesses, both in Africa and in the diaspora. Um, we're launching chapters in the US and in the UK as well. And I'm a second generation family business owner. My journey, where did it start? Okay, um, let's make this kind of short. So, well, family business has been in my life my whole life, right? My parents started up our family business, the year I was born. So I'm the first of three um, and to supplement their income. And then at age nine, I moved to the UK with my mum and my brothers and went to university there, worked in corporate for a few years, but didn't it didn't light me up, right? I just felt very hollow. And on this quest to discover what my purpose was, I decided to take three months off work and to come to Nigeria. Um, my dad invited me to come to see the real business world, in his words. He felt that I was um, locked up in, you know, corporate and was probably bored. And if I came out into the real world, mm-hmm. I would be inspired. So I took him up on that offer and came to Lagos for what was supposed to be three months, but ended up being here now for 10 years plus, And essentially started working alongside him in our family business. And then I set up our family office, but I found that it was extremely lonely as a family business owner. There were no resources. There were no tools. There were no consultants. There was no community. That's what I was going
1: to say. Where's the community? Go ahead.
2: To help navigate in Nigeria and, you know, to help my family Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the transition we were going through, I ended up reading so much, um, going on training programmes, getting a certification. Um, And then I realised that there was a systemic issue on the African continent, where family businesses had been completely overlooked. And um, the awareness of family business was really low. And because of that, there was a lot of focus on the importance of corporate governance. Um, But not enough on family governance, succession planning, so that family businesses could move beyond the first generation. So that started me off on my journey as an advisor. That was two years ago, consulting yeah. family. I, I
1: mm-hmm. just want to uh, interrupt for a quick second to say that I can only imagine that within the corporate world, like let's say hypothetically you were at you know Deloitte or something, there would mm-hmm. have been so much of a corporate atmosphere, like dinner parties and the holiday functions and the, the the weekend gatherings and so forth. And then when you come out of that, I don't wanna call it a bubble, but it's definitely, um, there, there's a lot of structure because somebody else has made the decisions. Mm-hmm. Then you go into a family business and it almost can feel like an island because unless you make the weekend gatherings of the baseball games or the soccer games or the holiday parties, or you eat with your staff and your company and your people, it, it, it's that it's not like ready-made
2: indeed um you the the change in culture was major the structure that you alluded to in corporate was very um it was very comfortable but then coming into the family business and there was none of that even you know you mentioned from a social perspective but even from like a development and learning perspective Mm -hmm. i had to be my own hr manager and drive my development
1: Right. And probably until you can find a mentor, your own mentor in the self-learning. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to touch upon that. So, that, so the loneliness piece I get, I, I, I also want to highlight a little bit of the positive in that I also imagine it's very exciting because let's say you do step back into corporate America, they will tell you, here's the cap of your salary. Here's as high as you can go, maybe with a glass ceiling, you know, as a woman and et cetera. And in a family business, the sky is the limit to what you can take on, mm-hmm. what your family can take on.
2: And I often say as women, family businesses present a very compelling place to work because like you were kind of alluding to, there is no glass ceiling as a business owner. It's yours, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that there are no gender gaps, gender um, issues in family firms, but that as an owner, you've got agency to shape culture Yes, and you can shape it in a way that's inclusive, permissive for next generation of women that are coming through whether they're in the family or whether they're in the business and you know the there's a lot of perks in family businesses as well um you know you can work flexible hours i was talking to a friend the other day and she was saying that um a friend of hers her daughter had been working with her mother for many years and got in a half decided to leave and get a job and she's based in Texas and she got a job and didn't last three months. Cause she was like, I want to take a day off. I want to work from home today. I yep. want to do, and they're like, Oh, where do you think you are? Like, right. turning to work, you've got to right. clock in. Right. And so that family businesses get a lot of slack, a lot of negative press, but the truth is there are lots of positives as well as a female. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when we've got two boys the oldest turned six yesterday and the youngest is three and I remember when I was planning my maternity leave whatever that is because I didn't get one and a lot of I felt really quite cheated because had I been in the UK and in Deloitte I would have had a year off Mm -hmm. and here I was I pushed I literally had 24 hours and I was back at my screen and my emails but in the same breath, there's a lot of flexibility. I can work from wherever as a business owner, so long as my work gets done. Mm-hmm. There's none of that, you know, I service, um, you know, I've got agency, like I said, to shape culture. I can right. suggest initiatives to really shape and change and alter the course of a business. I've got the autonomy and freedom to discover new opportunities for the business. So you know, whilst it's heavy responsibility, um, it should be worn with pride. Mm. Um, You know, so I really love working in a family business. Um, I'm easing out of ops over the next six months. They won't see me much, sad face. Um, However, I love being, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I love thinking strategic, collaborating. Yeah, looking for new opportunities, as opposed to, you know, which staff do we need to hire? How many pens do we need to buy? I mean- Yeah,
1: right. yeah I, I was just I was just gonna to touch upon that the creativity is unlimited compared to when you had mentioned your friend or associate went back, and then it feels like uh, she's being micromanaged and in a bubble, and it's like, get me out of here, because there is so much freedom with being an entrepreneur. So the, the first question I wanted to ask is, uh, would you share some of the most common pitfalls as well as your mission or goal to take dysfunction out of family businesses. So we've talked about the good stuff. Now, if we can get into some of what what I might call the shadow work or the tough stuff that gets ignored.
2: Mm -hmm. I'll speak on the side of the founders and then I'll speak on the side of the next gens. Um, A common pitfall I see is a lot of founders um, don't think about succession early enough. And they start to think about it when they're starting to think about their retirement. And, oh, I'd like to retire in the next three years. Who's going to, what's going to happen to this business? Like little Johnny that's in Canada, she needs to come back home or he needs to come back home and take over this thing. But little Johnny doesn't even want to live in Nigeria or Africa or wherever, right. um, doesn't have the skills, It's not really interested. And then they get into a panic and that limits their options as to what to do with the business. Because to even pass on the business to anyone, child not child, Um, so family CEO, non-family CEO, or to sell the business, you need to have corporate governance down. Mm -hmm. And that's the second pitfall is a lot of family businesses are still very, very informal. I love the informality of our businesses. Um, It makes us agile. It makes us nimble. We can move with speed. We've got this homely environment and culture where even non-family feel like family however mm-hmm. um, where you lack structure and process it does mean that you're amplifying your key man risk so it's critical
1: yes mm-hmm. so there's that verbal trust that unspoken we're like glue we're like velcro like we don't even have to have it in writing and then when but but the lack of pre- preparation whether it's no plan a partial plan or a denial of even needing to a plan yes
2: yeah because it's not just about the trust it's also about when you document things it's easy for someone else to come in and follow on from what you've been doing and that's really about it so if we're thinking of legacy business legacy enterprise um we have to think about okay i'm not going to take me out of the equation me not being here can this business run on its own mm-hmm. whether it's my child running it or whether it's someone else running it so putting in the right building blocks the right processes thinking about hr thinking about finance thinking about you know um you know technology such that the business can run outside of you where decisions are not just made up here and mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. Or down there, mm-hmm. right but we're able to move away from this intuitive decision making to data-driven collaborative formalized formal right. decision making because what that does is you know, when you're going from intuitive to kind of more structured, structured mm-hmm. um, it's easy for Johnny, your children or the next generation of the, of, of the non-family to practice their leadership and decision-making abilities. Where it's not structured and there's, they can't make sense of how decisions are made, um, they lose confidence in their, their leadership abilities. And Absolutely. So what, what we often see here in this side of the world is once the founder passes away, the business packs up within six months because of that.
1: Yeah. And it and it's an interesting conversation because I think there's so much more that comes with just running the business. But again, where is, where are the mentors? Where are the guides? Because if if you don't know, you could, and I was having this conversation the other day with my husband. I said, let's say you and I have a fantastic sneaker company and it, and it will rival like, Uh, Reebok and Adidas and so forth. Okay. Um, Not only let's say if we are phenomenal with the business, but now we also have to think about succession. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: let's say that that also requires an emotional intelligence commitment and skill that let's say our parents didn't have. Now, not only do we have to be great entrepreneurs and business people, but let's say we also have to break generational curses within our family to say, we're not going to do it how they did it. We're going to do it better. We're going to communicate more. We're going to, um, change things and care about people's feelings and have open dialogue. You know, even if, let's say, you know, parents didn't.
2: Mm-hmm. And so I
1: think it 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 asks a lot. Now, of course, if somebody's willing to do it, they will reap the benefits tenfold. Hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I completely completely agree with all that you said. And then on the side of the next generation, um, mm-hmm. those that are near and dear to my heart. Quite often, there's a focus on technical ability. Um, tactical um, items as opposed to bigger picture, contextual the why Mm. and behavioral I think one thing that corporate has done to a lot of our psyches is to make us forget the essence of business the essence of business is people connection.
1: Right, compared to being compartmentalized.
2: But they've made us feel like it's all about that idea. It's all about that technical analysis. It's the qualitative, quantitative is important, but the qualitative is also very important.
0: And similar
2: to that, a lot of next gens come into the business and are very tactical in, we need to change this. We need to do that. We need to do this but fail to communicate the why, right? The why is very important. That's what touches. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. In actual fact, your job isn't to get everyone to the destination of this is what we need to do. Your job is to signpost and facilitate the process in which they start to rediscover and see and re-envision how things could be, if that makes sense. It's, so,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's one of the things that when people talk about the difference between management and leadership, to be a leader, I think requires sometimes people to do that inner work of asking those tough emotional questions that uh, aren't necessarily new sports and weather, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's easy to talk new sports and weather because it's superficial. But if you ask someone like, well, why are you doing that? And let's say the answer is, well, I believe my product or service will eliminate the pain of... A, B, and C, that's like, they feel that. That takes like the pain out of their wrist because mm-hmm. it's it's personal then. But to the talk about the personal stuff is, yeah, it gets personal. Yeah. yeah, it gets personal.
2: It really does. And then there's also, like I was alluding to, a, a tendency to focus on the technical things that need to be done as opposed to focusing on harnessing and maximizing relationships. So by that I mean that a lot of the time next gens may assume that they're not being given more responsibility by the founder because the founder doesn't trust their competence. Um, they're not up to this up to the job. They don't have the right skill set or what have you. But the truth of the matter is it's it's quite often it's a it's more of a behavioral issue as opposed to a competence issue. And I don't mean behavioral issue to say that next gens have dysfunction in their behavior. What I mean is we have to become psychologists and develop deep empathy for the founders. Often founders are walled by fear.
1: Because they can't make a mistake. It's their head on the chopping block.
2: And because of that, they can make, there can be kind of, they grab on, and it makes it harder to let go.
1: That control, yes. yes. control, so all your
2: rational analysis paralysis of the direction the business needs to go in and all the initiatives that need to happen is not touching to their pain points. Their pain point is fear. Mm -hmm. And you need to understand that and start to communicate in a language that they understand and start communicating in an empathetic manner and start to when you you are suggesting things, ensure that you're speaking to their pain points.
1: And right, right, in their language, absolutely, like Yeah,
2: that's
1: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's very mm-hmm. insightful. You know, I had a, an aha moment the other day, and I'll move on to question. The second question um, is, is something that had to do with narcissism. I, I, I was chatting with a, a neighbor, and she had said to me that when people are placed into a survival situation, how often they will go into me thinking compared to we thinking. So M-E. Right. And so I find it very interesting is if you ask somebody, you know, what was the origin of that moment and you ask them to unpack it, it means that they have to let go of control that moment. And it can be very hard if that's been that thing that has kept them safe.
2: That's, That's so apt. Essentially, that's what I'm also saying is a lot of the time we make it about us. Yes. It's not about you. Um, The fact that your dad hasn't let go and given allowed you to have more responsibility is not a reflection of you, right? Mm. If you lean in and look more closely, you'll see that it's due to a fear of his or her. And so what can you do or how can you communicate to ensure that your father or mother feels seen and heard? Because that's what we want in life. That's you. We want to feel seen and heard. Right. Um, Stephen Covey says, seek first to understand and then to be understood so you need to do that work on developing deep empathy sometimes it requires little verbal communication on your part just listening and Mm -hmm. listening with your ears and to hear their heads and their hearts Mm -hmm. um the said and the unsaid and yeah so when you really get their perspective and the way they see things then the the way in which you communicate changes and you become a lot more influential and persuasive,
1: yeah, yeah, I might call that like the five thousand foot view hmm. when you when you seek first like more wisdom incorporated in yeah the approach, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I think I just want to add this one last thought that I wonder for the next generation if there can be a message solidified that their voice matters because I wonder mm-hmm. if they're afraid to sometimes pipe up, yeah, because what mm-hmm. if their thought gets laughed at? what if their their why gets you know ridiculed or mocked okay so second question um any stories worth sharing um sometimes we learn from witnessing the experiences of others
2: Mm -hmm. so when I moved back to Nigeria um like I said I came from corporate and I thought my mission was to make my father's business a mini Deloitte Surely that's my mission, to corporatize it and take out all this informality and make it a proper business. Um, and as you can probably hear from that tone, it was quite condescending and arrogant. And I came in with a kind of, and I didn't realise it at the time, It's really only with time and, you know, the gift of um, hindsight. That I appreciate now that I I was quite snooty and arrogant, and I didn't come in with what do I have to learn in this environment? What are others teaching me? Given that I had been out of Nigeria for 16 years, I was practically an immigrant. I didn't really know the culture. I didn't really know the the culture. Culture. Um, I had a lot, which is important. Which is very very important. Back to our conversation about. Corporate has programmed us to think about the technicalities and really not the behavioral humanity. Right. That's what it is. It's all about relationships. Um, It's about trust. Um, It's about character. It's about empathy. And when you're short-circuiting that process, it it does have an impact on on the metrics that we typically measure. Um, So the qualitative will eventually spill into the quantitative and essentially to cut a long story short i was quite critical so i had a laundry list of all the things that needed to change to make this business a real business right
1: we're gonna Um, fix
2: it we're gonna fix it that mrs fix it was my role but yeah that didn't really work i just noticed that um it wasn't going anywhere i'd send many emails many meetings with my father but it wasn't he would often like, yeah, 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 yeah. He actually was quite kind to me in that he never put me in my place, but it was like encouraging me to keep bringing up new ideas, but just they just were not going anywhere in terms of implementation. And I realized at one point that I was questioning him instead of asking questions. Mm. I had become the critic and in, I hadn't spent enough time studying the environment, the business, my father seek first to understand and then to be understood, um, to be able to speak in a language that he would understand. (laughs) I hadn't spent enough time looking to the why in any initiative I'd bring up, we need to professionalize, we need to have corporate governance, we need to have more, we need to have a new department supply chain management. I hadn't spent enough time articulating why that was important. Why that was taking us to the destination we needed to take, um, mm-hmm. we wanted to get to. Um, because the thing is, when you get so used to your own thoughts, that's and what your I was mm-hmm. You become so familiar with them, and you think everyone else around you are also where you're at. Like, surely you've been listening to these thoughts in your mind too. Right. No, they're hearing them for the same time, girlie. Like, you need to break it right down. You need to slow down. They're not going to move just because you've had it in your mind and you're eager and impatient to see it come to life. Mm -hmm. um, Doesn't mean that they're where you're at. They need to kind of stew on this thing for some time. You might need to repeat yourself sometimes for a long period of time. You're kind of like sowing a seed and you're slowly nurturing it and tilling the soil and then watering it and watering. And then at some point you will see, um, the results well, the results. Yeah. Right. I was, I was um, just
1: going to add that it's interesting uh, when we have to look at ourselves reflectively regarding how we've been programmed or how we define success. And then to say, Oh, maybe that works in that context, but here's a different context, but it's so hard to say that everything I've learned to this point, maybe, you know,
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So yeah, I think for me, That was a very necessary journey for me to go on. Um, And I often share that story with next gens when we're having consulting sessions and break it down to what could I have done differently? And now that you've got the privilege of my mistake, because I believe we learn from our mistakes and we learn from others' mistakes. What can you do differently going forward? Mm-hmm. yeah and I think it's life skill to be honest like it's great um that I now understand how to bond better with founders but um seek first to understand and then to be understood it's something that I do with my kids even um, I do with my staff I do with just friends um, we all want to be seen and heard we do
1: yeah I was just going to add I that I think,
2: think- seen and heard, then we see and hear
1: right sorry go ahead sorry
2: yeah i said and until we feel seen and mm-hmm. heard then we see and hear
1: yeah yeah i think that's very human because if not then you can have what i call the standoff
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah that gets wider and wider and wider i was going to add that i think that's quite a right of passage to speak into mm-hmm. because it is so personal and yeah oh, which leads me to the, the next question of um Leading by position versus other forms of influence, right? Yeah, to get consensus and agreement compared to just leveraging one's authority or title.
2: Mm-hmm. Isn't that the life of a next gen? <laughs> even those that are not necessarily in the business. It's, you, you have to learn to lead by influence and persuasion uh, because even sometimes when you have the title, there's someone behind the scenes with a short leash and pulling you right back. Yeah. Yeah. In the case of my father, my dad will be 59 this year. So yeah, he's young. So I said, I've been in the business for 10 years. So I I came into business when my dad was 49. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. He's not retiring anytime soon. Um, A lot of the delegated responsibilities I was given was very much like with him sitting there just looking. <laughs> and so it wasn't by my position. It wasn't by my title or authority. I had to learn to lead by persuasion.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. and I can also wonder uh, how it might be regarding dynamics if let's say there's an ex-gen and they are young and the other people can say, oh, well, he or she has an executive title and yet they're half my age. And so then it's like, how, how does that next gen or that rising gen then, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. receive the respect and credibility that they deserve, even if they might be, you know, it's,
2: it is a challenge and it's a, a challenge in, in, in the next gen's mindset. A lot of the time, um, the truth of the matter is, um, character is really important. So, so long as you embody empathy, humility, um, I think generally those around you will will grow to like you, right? Um, But here's the thing, a lot of us are, we wanna fit into the mold. Um, We wanna be, we love the security of the tick box, Mm -hmm. um, categories of expectations. And so we feel like we're kind of rocking the boat and will not be liked um, as a result of that but here's the thing as a leader your job is not to be liked your job is to (laughs) to go before as a guide that's your job and sometimes when you're going before as a guide you're seeing things other people are not seeing because your your um horizon is different from theirs Theirs is shorter you are looking way ahead Mm -hmm. and so your job isn't to be liked your job is to influence and persuade and yeah whether you're young or old i'm not really sure it it, i've come to realize the gift of time and the gift of hindsight that a lot of that is insecurities and fears because we all want to be loved and accepted as opposed to genuinely warranted because like i said you're a leader Um, we have examples of so many young leaders in different spheres of life Um, and the, the 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 unfortunate thing is because it can be extremely lonely as an ex-gen. You feel alone, but you're yes. not. There's a distinction between loneliness and alone. Right. Um, you're like, you're the only one in the world that's going through this situation. Mm-hmm. You're not. There's so many others, so many young leaders with huge amounts of responsibility that are going through what you're going through. Um, so don't let that loneliness cripple you. Um, but how about we reframe it and look at, like you said, the positives of being in a position, position of privilege. Absolutely. Uh, I don't mean that with regards to wealth or anything, I'm saying with the opportunity. opportunity. So instead of go on to me, um, um, I have to lead people that are 30 years older than me, go on to me. How about I get the opportunity to change the narrative and teach these folks a thing or two about 21st century business, the disruption, the need to digitalize, um, the importance of multi-generational dynamics. Um, I think we a lot of the time we have to deal with this and telling our minds what to think because it's by default. we, We pick out negatives, we pick out risk, we pick out rejection and we have to tell our minds the complete opposite. Right. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, fear is the number one emotion that drives both men and women, yes. And I wanted to touch upon something uh, just real quick about being liked versus being respected. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's huge. I, I remember growing up, my dad would say to me, success begins when you quit caring about what everybody else thinks, but that's very hard. Because it can make you unpopular sometimes.
2: Yes, even if what is popularity? Because one moment the same people that celebrated you (laughs) can vilify you. Yeah. So what is popularity? Right. (laughs) Even when you have the purest of intentions. Right. Um, We can't be led by people bondage. We have to be led by purpose. We have to be led by a quest for to leave a legacy, as you know. Your 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 company is called Legacy Planning. Um, and if we're really seeking to leave a lasting, meaningful legacy, we can't be moved by the whims and you know of people's changing opinions, because their opinions often are dumbfounded or unwarranted. Sometimes they're warranted, but they have a wrong, they've made an, a, a wrong assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, so my guiding light in this is, so long as Nika can say to herself when she's alone, that the action she took came from a place of service to others and to make a positive difference, then I can go to bed. Mm-hmm. If I can't say that to myself, Then I failed myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I have no one to explain to. Um, Yeah. I. 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 I, I've grown to. I've over the years I've learned to grow a thick skin and just not really care what others think about me and the work that I do. So long as, like I said, it's coming from a heart of service. Yeah. um, Then I'm good.
1: Yeah. It takes strength though.
2: It takes time. Yeah. It It takes, it's not, um, I was not here a year ago, two years, two years ago, 10 years ago. It takes time. It's a combination of our life experiences that, you know, we grow a bit tougher and we, 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 we gain perspective. Um, thankful for rejections, thankful for, you know, um, people that wrongly, um, Projected onto me, even um, their insecurities, their stuff. I'm really thankful for their junk, mm-hmm. honestly. And I don't say that in, you know, in a funny way. I'm really thankful because now I am laser focused on my purpose. Yeah. Nothing in the, I don't even look to left or right about what Johnny thinks and what Jerry feels like. Yeah so long as it's coming from a pure place.
1: Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I would like to acknowledge you for giving a voice to the voiceless. And what I mean by that is giving more opportunities for women to speak from the perspective and narrative of what it is for them um, as an individual, as well as a member of a family business. So I wondered, uh, what have you learned from other women uh, that is worth sharing um, that may not have the time to watch some of your other videos?
2: Hmm. Um, oh, that's a loaded question. Um, Maybe just one or two. I'll yeah. just say I'll just okay. say one. The important representation matters. It really matters. Um, we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and helps us help ourselves. We need to. We all need to see a bit of ourselves in those that have gone before us to inspire us to keep going. So representation really matters. Um, we had, like you were alluding to, we had a conference for women in family business in January. And a lot of the stories were just so inspirational. Um, another thing is the gender confidence gap is so prevalent, and a lot of women quietly feel like they're the weird ones that just don't feel very confident and they're just not wired up for this entrepreneurship thing. They're not just wired up for this investing thing. And, you know, they look at other ladies and they're like, oh, they must have something that I don't have, you know. They've learned to quieten those voices. They've learned to um, do it afraid, quite Mm -hmm. literally. Men don't have to do it afraid the same way women do. We, we face so many internal um, negative voices, but you know what? It's kind of like riding a bicycle. Initially, you're a bit shaky and you're a bit scared and you're like, oh God, and my the negative thoughts are saying this and the negative thoughts are saying that. After a while, you kind of get used to the presence of those thoughts mm-hmm. and you get used to doing it afraid. Um, so I think it's important as women to have places of safety where we can talk about those inner voices
1: and those experiences uh, yes
2: those experiences so we can feel normal like oh, okay so you go through that too yeah so it was like yeah
1: yeah I like I just want to touch on this really quickly I like what you said about doing it afraid because I think sometimes there can be this perception of oh well she wasn't afraid she was just fearless yeah That's oh good. no she was afraid <laughs> <laughs> she was going what am I doing
2: yeah, she was and fearless she, yeah. The insane, like no one's fearless. Like yeah. it, fear is, like you said, it's an emotion. Like it's hormonal, right? Yes. Um, unless, like, yeah, no, I'd rather not say what I was going to say. but- Yeah,
1: it, it's yeah. like the tiger outside of the cave. We still think we can be eaten, mm-hmm. and yet we still put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, so, and I just wanted to bring this up. There's a phrase known as PhD or pull her down, and mm-hmm. I, I just thought that that was, um, yeah. Uh, I wondered if you might have any advice when you're working with a client and they're dealing with getting pulled down by other people, whether it's envy related or.
2: It's very commonplace when you're a person of supposed privilege. Um, A lot of the time, next gens are projected onto them a sense of entitlement. um, Wealth is shamed in society and it's not taboo to shame wealth. It's completely, you know, we all, even those that are misogynistic or racist, most of them know that it's completely unacceptable to openly go out and spout racist or sexist comments. But it's not in society, it's not unacceptable for people to say rich, B-I-T-C-H, mm-hmm. um, to, to vilify um, people of wealth, right? Um, And that can get extremely, extremely lonely. So again, we're back to being seen and heard. Right. Uh, When I'm I'm in that situation with my clients is, I see you and I hear you. Tell me what's on your heart and what your fears are. And tell me those pains. Let's talk about it. We have to acknowledge it first before we heal from it. And we learn how to deal with future scenarios, right? Um, we, a lot of us, um, we want to be treated justly.
1: Everybody wants that, absolutely. Everyone wants it. It's an right. innate
2: thing, right. that's unfair. That was unkind. That wasn't very righteous. Right. Unfortunately, the world we live in is fallen and broken, I feel of you know all sorts um so how do you live in this broken fallen world that's full of injustice and how do you move forward and continue to be a light in spite of that yeah so those are the conversations i have with my clients um rather than paint this unrealistic expectation that you know you don't deserve it and no one should do that to you and that won't happen again it will yeah. happen again yeah they will say some crap another time yeah but like I said how do you choose to be a light in spite of this brokenness
1: yeah I still deal with comments about being female so <laughs> some people <Really>? have not. <laughs> they haven't
2: moved past that one
1: yeah they have not <laughs> Even people think in America they're you know yeah, they, they still come out and say it. But I yeah, it's interesting uh, what I call it, the, the metaphor around the taller blade of grass and mm-hmm. being the taller blade of grass might be, you know, whether it's talent, it could be wealth. And, it, and so if somebody else has that thing, it's like, well, they have the big red fire truck. Why don't I have the big red fire truck? Mm-hmm. Well, that's not fair. I'm going to go and tear them down and pull them down and. Yeah. And I think for the receiving party, it brings a new level of complexity that they don't realize and they can be b- blindsided if they've never had to deal with
2: it before. And often it can happen in families. Yeah. You say? Yeah. Extended families. So your family is a family of wealth, um, but you grew up with your extended family and you might have all started off on the same path and wealth-wise and there's been a divergence but hey you might be fine with that and it doesn't you, the money in the bank or the value of your business doesn't define who you are as an individual but it can be intimidating to other family members and there's a certain sting that comes from those you love the most your family when they mm-hmm. are the ones pulling you down as opposed to random people on the streets but I think it's important we have these conversations um and not I think traditionally we've suppressed these tensions and um, society, you know, you're the rich one, shut it. You've got everything you need. What, what we, we have, what's the word I'm looking for? We've completely deprioritized our humanity. yes. And we've elevated money to be the zenith mm-hmm. of everything in life. And it's not, mm-hmm. it really is not money is important yes it is meet our basic needs but show me one person whose void in their hearts have been filled up by coins or bitcoins
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> yes but I'm
2: no no. One. yes yeah no yeah. one um we all want to be seen and heard. we all want to be um empathized with we all want to be treated as dignified beings um so So yeah, I think it's important we have these conversations. I think these are the alienating aspects of being in a family of wealth.
1: Because a person can be suffering inside and how do they give voice to it? And where do they give voice to it? How dare you give
2: voice to it, you poor, rich person?
1: Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, that that part too. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, woe to you. How dare you. you
2: give voice to it? Yeah. Some of us have bills to pay that we can't. But like I, well, I go back to it, money is not the end and ideal of our existence and humanity. It really is not. I think we all have different guiding compasses as to what those are. For me, it's service to humanity, right? Um, I'm grieved by injustice. I'm grieved by inequities. and my life purpose is to play my part in narrowing those gaps. So when um, you're faced with comments like that, I, I, I find it very, like you said, it's a projection of who they their insecurities. It's a projection of their frailties and their brokenness. And I think there needs to be more conversation on, we need to have more empathy for one another in two directions. So mm. the so-called privilege need to have empathy for the underprivileged. And this cutting across age, cutting across gender, empathy for men and women, um, it's cutting across wealth, it's cutting across all strata of society. I think we just need to acknowledge our humanity.
1: I think it's very important. I think it Mm -hmm. will then uh, create a less divisive world and show more commonalities and also allow the Expression of what people do experience to come forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's not about how, you know, you are different or, you know, what you have. Cause like you said, uh, nobody needs more coin or Bitcoin in their heart. And <laughs> yeah. And I think sometimes uh, it's easy, it, it can be, not always, but it can sometimes be easy uh, to hide behind it. Mm-hmm. Cause then it can look flawless, but we don't know what that person is going through underneath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it's their experience is very real, and and it's surprising how few people they have to trust sometimes, okay. unless they make the courageous efforts to say, "I'm going to build this area of my life, and I'm going to build my social networks, and I'm going to not be an island, even if I own an island." Yes, yes. Okay. Megan
2: Markle's experience that was horrible. One more time, please. Megan Markle's oh. experience, princess, and you know whatever she was duchess of wherever she was That's, yeah and living a very lonely life in the one of the greatest palaces in the world right money's not the end or the or to, to yeah
1: lie. i i wonder if she feels um in integrity that she has spoken out because i don't know how much diana spoke out
2: yeah diana yeah. didn't have the, the privilege to the way megan does
1: yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm family
2: businesses (laughs) um
1: yes yeah i actually i commend her courage because she was strong yeah Yeah.
2: extremely strong
1: although i have gotten into discussions with my parents about this (laughs) it's interesting the different generations view a lot to unpack there but yeah
2: yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's a changing world yeah it is Uh, a changing world Mm -hmm. um
1: One of the traits that come from family businesses is knowing the lines and supporting the boundaries between the business and the family. Uh, There is a psychology term known as enmeshment, where it can be or it can become hard to see and recognize the distinctions of being able to say yes or no. What are some of the solutions to clarifying as well as making the space to create, speak and honor boundaries around Mm -hmm. roles, one's time, one's purpose, etc.?
2: I love this conversation on boundaries. It's so major as humans. Um, I think before you get to the piece on boundaries, boundaries are like policemen that are enforcing the law. Um, you first need to know what the law is, and that's what do you stand for? What are your values? And what's really important to you? And unapologetically owning your values without shrinking back or caving into other people's values. I think a lot of the time we cave into other people's values um, and we're at their mercy, to be perfectly honest. So who are you? What are the five things that are your guiding compasses in life and are absolutely non-negotiable for you? And then it's then thinking of how do you enforce those in terms of, okay, your values, what what does that look like in terms of behavioral and in terms of um, like day to day? and then what what structures are you going to put in place to ensure you preserve those values i'll give you an example um for instance for me honoring myself my health is fundamental so as a business owner it's very easy um, to wake up in the morning and you know be at the mercy of other people you've got approvals to do you've got things you've you've always got a laundry list of things to do you've always got people that need to see you and meet you you've always you're always under pressure and it's easy to cave into that and be at the mercy of that instead of directing your day so it's important to me that my health is catered to because back to my guiding star my mission and my what drives me is to to i need to look after myself and maximise that, so I can maximise my service to other people. Um, so there are certain things I do not do before I have breakfast, before I have go for a run. Um, there are certain non-negotiable blocks in my day that are um, no one can book a meeting with. Um, after a certain time, I leave my office and no email gets attended to. Um, because my mental health is important so I think is there's been a lot of kind of unspoken um sense that self-care is self-indulging um and you know sport you going to the spa three days a week kind We're of or selfish thing. yes yeah like you're selfish and that's just absolute nonsense like do you want to give people the crumbs of you or do you want to give them the best of you? Mm-hmm. Do you want to feel pulled, tossed and turned in every direction to the point where even when you're saying yes, 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 to everything, you don't have the presence of mind, the quality of your contributions is depleting and you've not served people and you haven't served yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the alternative? So that's just an example. So I think it's really important to get clear on what are your values? What's really important to you? Really discover that and don't feel shame in that. Yes. Don't feel shame in that. What's important important to you? It's your priority. And I think as women, we often feel like we have to be a sacrifice to everything and everyone. Um, Why do we feel that way? Um, And own it. Absolutely. It might take you time to own it unapologetically, yeah, and then and enforce us to ensure that you know you preserve those values.
1: I just wanted to add that um, I think that when you can do that, like within your family, within your family business, it opens up a space that other people can say, maybe I can do that too. Like when you like as a
2: role model, like you embody it, it you own it. it. Yeah, it gives permission to other people. And guess what? They respect you more. Oh, Um, yes. Yeah. Irony, you feel like, oh my God, they're going to hate me.
1: Yeah.
2: When you say, no, I can't do that because I'm, well, I, I, last year I did this thing where I wasn't going to say sorry and I wasn't going to give it a reason. And oh boy, it changed things. (laughs) It's like, I'm not available. Done. That's That's a full sentence. Or no. Yeah, no it's is a complete sentence. Some people center. don't like that. It's complete. It's it's done. Full, with the period at the end, it's done. Right. I don't have to say, I apologize because A, B, C, D, E, or I have to give you a reason. It's a full sentence just because. Because it's my life and I direct my life. Correct. You're not I think... entitled mm-hmm. to certain things. Your expectations are your expectations. My expectations are mine. Mm -hmm. And I have the responsibility to direct my life, steward my gifts, my time, my money to ensure that I'm doing the best I can to, like I said, my guiding compass to make a positive impact on the world.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, the gauntlet though, some people have to go through, even though at the end, others might respect them in that that journey, it's like, oh, testing and testing and testing and testing and yeah, yeah. How many more football players do I have to run through? Yes. Um, Okay, so um, do you think it is hard for founders uh, or the senior generation to step down because they need something to look forward to after they've lived an entire life under the pressure to be successful or maybe it's pride of their work or to make that business work? Um, Yeah, there's a shift in lifestyle. I just thought maybe you might unpack it for somebody that might not be able to find the words for it or maybe you can you know, provide a perspective, even for like, let's say a next gen who might be watching who says, oh, that founder is so different than, than me.
2: And I, yeah. It's so easy to wag your fingers. And, um, but the truth is it's, founders have a deep emotional bond to their businesses. And it's really difficult to let go of that business because it becomes an extension of that identity. And who wants to amputate their arm and give it over to someone else, right? right? So it takes deep work to, the word isn't disengage, but kind of, um, yeah, not be as embroiled in the business emotionally and rethink, re-envision what does this business mean to me? Perhaps um, it being a source of pride to me, it being a source of joy to me isn't necessarily me being the director of the business. And I don't mean that in the Fai term, I mean that the person that's driving the business, right? Um, perhaps there can be a reframing that um, the legacy mm. is ever right? Right. It's, it takes deep inner work and that, that work takes time. And it's just to have empathy for, yeah. for and help them through that transition. Um, no one wants to be separated from their baby.
1: Yeah, they helped create it. It's almost—it's interesting when you gave the uh, the metaphor about it, uh, the body part because it reminds me of like if I if I have a business and I give part of my liver to you, I still have a, another right. It's it's that energetic connection is always there. It's like people who oh. have like uh you know I don't know if you've heard this yeah the story is like if they get an organ, they still have the memories. Yeah, it's very personal. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. especially if they helped craft that business and that business is a part of their legacy. And now they're passing it forward. You know, will the next generation define it the same? Will they develop it the same? Will they preserve it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. A um, couple more questions before we wrap. And um, then in the past few centuries, um, sometimes <laughs> it appears men's voices have dominated decision making in what is deemed sound, logical, just right, What have you seen that comes with a woman of each generation as she steps forward more as a leader in both the reactions of men and women? And what might you suggest to women when it comes to dealing with this?
2: Mm.
1: Like the complications, the complexity,
2: Mm -hmm. the blind spots? Um, Yeah, no, for sure. You're completely right. Men's voices have dominated and it's time for, we are seeing, on the positive side, we are seeing a fading of patriarchal systems and more permission for women to come forward as leaders but that's not about rocking a boat right mm-hmm. um like you alluded to and actually in moments of disruption and moments of change there will always you will always step on toes and it won't be necessarily well received um and i would just say to women that are dealing with perhaps being the first pioneer, pioneer, you know, the woman that's broken to the ceiling, through the glass ceiling, um, is to brace yourself for the negativity, but to um, operate from, you know, your mind, a resilient mindset is basically what I'm trying to say is, it's not going to be easy, because you're the first that's forging forward and forging through, Um, but you're doing this not just for yourself, but for the benefit of um, the bigger picture exactly. Coming yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a joke that uh, you're over, you're over target when you're getting attacked. Yeah. You know, you're over target when you're getting attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: I, I think you do have to kind of, you know, rock the boat a little bit if everyone likes you and everyone's treating you nicely, maybe, maybe you're conforming too much. Yeah. Um, to really make change, you do have to kind of turn the tables a little bit. Mm-hmm. Pivot
1: things, absolutely. So mm-hmm. uh, so um, in another historical context, I, I feel like uh, <laughs> you're, the founder needs you, but I'm pumped. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's just a joke, okay. <laughs> I feel like there is a rebuilding of identity as members of African family firms move forward smartly in growing their businesses for themselves, their their own benefit and their influence. Uh, thus, I, your coaching, I would imagine, needs to recognize the many layers of what a client faces in their micro and macro world. Um, in other words, they get to write and create and speak their own legacies compared to serving um, and supporting another's vision. So mm-hmm. I, I just wondered, I know that's kind of a deep, complex question. But yes,
2: I with pre-colonial identity, post-colonial identity, even as an next gen being straddling between two cultures quite right. often you like me and you don't know where you quite fit again it's about permission to be yeah um, actually allowing yourself to delve your foot into that water and explore you whoever you are not being conformed by um, the limitations and the expectations of man of you as an African or what have you or as a a, pers- a young person or, or what have you. And, and I think it's actually a very exciting time to be an African in that we can rediscover who we are. Um, as people, we've been told who we are for the longest time. Mm. And a lot of people who were told who we were, were inaccurate Absolutely. and actually not what history said. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of, you know, sexism on the continent came in with a lot of colonialists. Women were very empowered um, pre-colonialism. They were traders. They were counting their coins. They were, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they were acts politically. They had a voice. So I think it's permission, giving yourself permission to explore who you are.
1: Okay. And last question, what would you like your legacy to be?
2: Service to humanity. I think I've said it like eight times in this. Um, okay. It grieves me that our world is is just so unfair and has so many enshrined, um, enshrined biases. Um, and I think it's really important that, you know, we all recognize our privileges and try and use our privileges to build a fairer world. So that and makes- my, little world, my little world is the world of family business, seeing that Africans don't get left behind and are able to have generational wealth. Um, Because whilst I had a whole conversation about how money doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. it does matter as well. It's a tool. It's a tool, Mm -hmm. it's an enabler. Mm -hmm. It's an enabler that's making an impact on the world. It opens doors in terms of social capital. Right. Um, And if we don't preserve financial capital or social capital, we will get left behind as a people. And right that it's important that we make a stamp on the world and we show the world who we are right we submit our ideas and our perspectives because I believe we have unique perspectives that are of benefit to the world um, and likewise the other way around as well um, but diversity of thought diversity of people and collaboration of you know inclusivity is Absolutely. Really life mm-hmm.
1: and the good news is in the luxury world it's happening more and more for instance, but if we talk about uh, before we close this conversation, uh, the population of the world—I think something like half the world's population is under the age of 25. But what mm-hmm. means do they have um, outside of their cell phones to really impact and make a change? If they um, don't have all of the tools, if they don't have all the education, I think that that is something that's a very interesting piece when you talk about uh, you know where our future is heading and yes, making things more
2: equal. Mm-hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, completely agree.
1: Well, thank you very much for your time. I'd like to acknowledge the work that you've done inside, the inner work, the emotional intelligence that you have and the wisdom that you're bringing forward as a pioneer to lead others forward, whether it's within the scope of African family firms, women, uh, and, and many different types of people that need a guide to go forward. I think that you've definitely, you have the strength to stand by their side regarding whatever it is that they are facing so that they they know that they are not alone. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you, whether it's a coaching and advisory or specifically a succession planning, what's the best way that they can contact you or find you?
2: Find me on my website. All my details are on there. You can drop me an email. My website is www.nikeanani.com. That's N-I-K-E-A-N-A-N-I.com. Okay. And there's the founder. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So thank you so much again, and um, I appreciate all your thoughts. And may your work create uh, many legacies uh, in in this future.
2: Thank you, and likewise to you.
1: Okay, all right. Thank you so much. Thank you.